This is Todd Capone, author of The Transparency Sale and soon to be author of The Transparent Sales Leader. And you're listening to The Sassholes. Welcome to Sassholes, a show dedicated to issues within the software as a service industry. Jason and Pete have a combined less than 100 years of making mistakes and are more than happy to share them with you. Please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and smash that like button on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. Today, we're joined with very special guest, Todd Capone from... Well, Sales Melon, but yeah, I wrote a book that people know more called The Transparency Sales. So. The Transparency Sales. Okay, we will leave that in. Uh, but before we get going, uh, hey, Ferrara. Yes, yes, Pete. Come on, say it with a little gusto. Hey, Ferrara. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Pete. What's up? What What do you need? You know, most people can't tell the difference between entomology and entomology. I can't find the words for how much this bugs me. Leave some comments on our blog <laughs> at sassholes.net. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I'm going to use that right there. Okay, See so. that? That's very good. That's very good. So, as couple a, shout as outs. A, <laughs> as a dad joke, you've got to have children that are into language just that's yeah. just a tip for those people out there who want to take that joke and retell it yeah. well some kids are 28 some kids are 14 <laughs> some are six uh, you know i like that my, my mine didn't go to state school all right i did all right shout outs we got a few anybody can pitch in here max jansen's known well four years at cision four Hey, all right. I was a Cision yeah, customer once, once in a, a once? previous company. Sounds like good you experience. A, sounds like you got to be a customer again. I think I uh, might have to. For, okay. Now this will be a text a test to see if Max is listening. Okay. Mm-hmm. Lead. Okay. Jerica Vaughn, three years at InTouch. Brian Murphy, senior, nine years at Navy Pier. Brian Murphy, good cat. You got anything for our um, a new new news today that I learned because you know how I like to comb the obituaries for stuff. Yeah, uh, Eric Carl, Eric Carl, the children's book author, very hungry caterpillar, a whole bunch of other very famous books. He died. He was ninety one. Uh, I'm guessing most people who are listening had a few of those on their on their bookshelf. So uh, pull those out, check them out. Great, great books, great children's books. That's the death you're going to point out to me? Yeah, Eric Carl. What about Who did the, you want me to talk about? The school of rock drummer got tagged by an SUV in Chicago. The kid that played oh, the drummer I, in school of rock? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't get the uh, Chicago news in Dallas. Uh, actually, I don't know which news I get because I deleted or I blocked most of them. But uh, <laughs> Well, that's, no, that's but, sad. The drum? No, it was a cool cat. Cool cat well, yeah, just got. He was on the uh, a bike track and bam! All right. Oh boy, yeah. I do Hughes. love School of Rock. Great movie. Great movie. Great, great. Yeah. Good franchise too. They got they got some yes. money once. Yeah, yeah. What's up with uh, then? Todd can pitch in on this one. Bank of America, no more cold calling. You guys see that? Yeah, I, I don't. I think it's going to be tough to not call. (laughs) I don't know what it's like to have a world where there isn't cold calling. I mean, I, I, that is, 
that's an innovation that I don't know what to think about yet. I don't know, Todd, you got a thought on that? I've got lots of thoughts on that. I don't know if you want to wind <laughs> me up. But, uh, yeah, I, um, I, I'm a behavioral science nerd, but I'm even a bigger nerd for sales history. Uh, I've got a whole collection of books and magazines from the early 19th or early 20th century. And, I, you know, it's funny. There was a time when sales as a profession was not only trusted and respected, but it was actually admired. And yeah. then we were given these amazing gifts, like the telephone, like this gift where I don't even have to leave my freaking house. I can just pick this thing up and dial and it goes right to the person I can talk to them. Like, how cool is that? And then salespeople ruined it, right? They ruined it by pounding people with their automation and they're calling during dinner and like not letting people up to the point where, you know, technology had to be developed to keep people from doing it in the form of caller ID, uh, yeah. you know, types of things. And then that didn't work. So the government gets involved and creates the do not call registry. Like we did that with the phone. We did that with email. I look at my LinkedIn requests and I'm like, we're doing it again. We're doing it with video. And so I think that we as salespeople keep ruining this incredible technology. And so eventually cold calling does have to either die or we all as a collective have to start embracing more trustworthy value added approaches to it. And it's yeah. either one. And I just, I don't, I think the uh, in that Bank of America example, I think that's more on the B2C side, right? Actually, all of it, but mostly, mostly B2C. There's so many complaints, but we had uh, our machine guy, Justin Rothmarsh. Uh, he says, you, you got to stop putting the newbies on the phones. You got to put the vets on the phones to get that initial conversation, you know? I mean, I had a, I had a boiler room, you know, set up and I really had a yeah. guy waiting to hear Reco. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm to blame for, you know, a lot of this, but uh, that's the first company that I saw that says, you know what, you know, less calls. Do you guys actually pick up the phone when it rings or are you a connoisseur of voicemails? Only if I, only if I know the person, do I pick it up? If I have the, if I know the number or the person who calls. Yeah. And like in my last role as I was the chief revenue officer of a company here in Chicago, you know, I, I had 30 to 35 meetings a week and 100 to 150 emails in my inbox every day. I, you, you just can't guide your day via interruptions. Like I just yeah, I yeah. couldn't do it. Even if I wanted to, it wasn't going to happen. So I never did unless somebody was sending me emails that were personalized and valuable and then leaving me uh, valuable personalized voicemails to where I felt like there was a relationship almost. That was the only time. And that was like one out of a thousand. You got to give before well, you can get. Yeah, that's right, and that's and that's why I think um, one of the reasons why I I like the marketing of Terminus. I think Terminus has done a really good job with this. I think um, Postal, uh, you know, Postal IO, the the company that we we had on uh, Sassholes a couple of couple of weeks, Pete. You know, yeah. and, and there are a few others that I see on LinkedIn that are doing a nice job of let me share with you a philosophy about something without actually asking you to take an action. Um, you know, I, I Terminus is really strong with that and, and it fits their product too. So clearly somebody's thinking in those terms. Now I guarantee at Terminus, there is somebody who has a telephone who's making a cold call, 
but it is getting categorized not as that because they've targeted me on LinkedIn or something like that. So the other thing I think with Bank of America is how are they going to get their sellers on the phone with people? They've got to create an environment where they categorize something not as a cold call, but something else. And that and that really is the nuance, I think, of it, of it all. But I think Terms is probably a good example of that. Ferrari, you did a great job. You know what you know who else does a great job? Who? Neuronoodle. Yes, they our do. Spo- our sponsor. Hey uh-huh. athletes, get a doodle of your noodle, a brain map before the season starts. You know, you're gonna take one to the melon, right? Yeah. How do you know if you can get back on the field? How do you know you can get back on the phones if you're not a Bank of America, right? You get hit in your sales melon, get a brain map to figure out, hey, before the season starts, this is what my brain looks like. Now I got whacked. You got something to compare it to. It's called a baseline. More information at neuronoodle.com. Nice how we worked in the sales melon in there. I do. You're you're loose today, Pete. You've got a special mojo. You're loose. I like it. It's called it's called Carney's not here. Albatross <laughs> anchor around my neck. My goodness. We'll edit that out in post. Remind me. <laughs> so so we got Todd, Chicago guy, huh? Did yeah, you move uh, here, grow up here. Yeah, I'm born and raised. Uh moved what? to California for a few months and hated it and moved right back. So that was uh that's my life. So born born where, Todd? I'm, I was born in Mount Prospect, uh, yeah. so northwest suburb. I now live in Palatine. Beautiful this time of year. Yep. Oh, nice. man. Mount Prospect. Yeah, the uh, Artemis. Remember Artemis? No. Busted. <laughs> <laughs> You're not from Mount Prospect. You're not from Chicago. <laughs> Artemis. Busted. Artemis. What Artemis was the name of my high school yearbook, and I never knew why. Golf <laughs> <laughs> Road to Mount Prospect. Nice, a nice little oh, Greek place. Yes, I have been there, and I've smelled of euros. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, you get I know. no cred. You yes, get no right. cred. I, I pulled it back a little. I'm still right, see, see that kind of shit. What, what high school over there? I, I actually went to Hersey in Arlington Heights. Hersey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, my kid went to Vider. Oh, God. Yeah. Hersey's a much better deal. Okay. All right. So we're like neighbors. Okay, great. I like you. I like you, Capone. I'll give it time. All right. So, uh, well, it is early in the show. Well, plus, I'm in a good mood. We don't have Carney around. This is fantastic. <laughs> I got to meet this person. <laughs> oh, he's, he's, he's really good at sales. He'll tell you that. He's a finance guy. He's selling right now. You know what he's selling? Girl Scout cookies. You know how he's selling them? He's eating half of them. All right. So you got a couple books out. You're accomplished here. Tell us, you got one for the sales reps. You got one for the leaders. What do you you got cooking, Todd? Well, yeah, I'm writing the second book uh, for leaders, but the first book was called The Transparency Sale. And it it came out of this idea that uh, I was the CRO of a company here in Chicago called Power Reviews. And as you could probably guess, we were in the review space. So we helped retailers, yeah. brands collect and display ratings and reviews on their websites. What we found is uh, we did a research study with Northwestern University that looked at, all right, when a website's acting as a salesperson, what do people do? And there was three things. Number one, we all look at reviews today. So if we're buying something we haven't bought before, we all go to the reviews. Cool. No surprise there. But the two things that kind of blew my mind were 
85% of us go to the negative reviews first, right? So you skip the fives and go right to the fours, threes, twos, and ones when you're buying something online. And then a product that has an average review score between a four, two, and a four, five, that's actually optimal for purchase conversion. Meaning a product that has negative reviews under it on its own page will sell better than a product that has no negative reviews. And so I started digging into the behavioral science and realized that's not just when a website's acting as a salesperson, it absolutely applies to human to human. And that when we lead with flaws and we embrace the things we give up to be great at our core, it actually speeds decision-making. So we started trying it, that happened, win rates went up, sales cycles sped up. We qualified deals in better and faster that we should win, but more importantly, lost deals that we were gonna lose anyway a lot faster. I ended up writing a book that I thought had a good shot that it would suck because I'd never wrote a book before mm-hmm. and uh, people like it. And so uh, now I'm writing book number two, which is taking the transparency concepts and the structures and applying them to sales leadership. Well, I was going to ask about um, the review. So were you looking at, at B2B products, at B2C products? Did you see a difference there? Um, any variance in the reviews? Just tell that story a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the what the research was really looking at was in a B2C environment. So you're on crocs.com and you're buying a pair of shoes or vineyard vines, buying a sweater. Like what do people do? Like what, what is the typical consumer who's buying something that matters? What is their behavior? And their behavior is I inherently don't believe that anything is perfect. And until I'm able to balance that out and understand what the downsides are, what I'm giving up, um, I will not like all the positive, we're great. Have I mentioned how great we are? Goes through yeah. a filter. And so there's a disarming function that it takes place with the downsides, the negative reviews. And then once we have a feeling of relevance, like, hey, that negative review, that's probably just them or it doesn't apply to me. I now have trust and I now can start to absorb the positives more effectively. And so it started with B2C. I took it to B2B to go, does the same thing happen? And it turns out we as human beings, as salespeople are the ones delivering the positives and the negatives. Uh, We're the review providers essentially to say, hey, uh, our competitors does this better. If that's going to be important, let's talk about that now. So we save each other a bunch of time or Hey, when you go do a Google search, you're going to see that we really screwed something up a couple of years ago. It happened. Here's what we did to fix it. Uh, So we sucked back then. We're not perfect now, but here's what we're doing to improve. Those types of things are incredible trust building, disarming gestures that when the buyer then goes and does their own homework and finds that it matches, they don't feel like they need to do much more homework because now you've built a trust-based relationship. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I'm I'm glad that relationship holds B to C to B to B because I, I, what I was going to say is I bet I bet it does hold the same way, right? I'm not looking at necessarily a review of every widget, but I'm looking at the de- the the company that's delivering that widget or delivering that piece of technology for me. Um, yeah, and I, I feel like when I look at companies that say they're five out of five on whatever on on G two, that's okay, but but I much prefer a four, eight, four, nine, <laughs> you know, to say like, yeah, there's some, someone's actually, because that means that somebody's actually used it, that that review is from somebody who's used it and not everybody loves everything. 
That's okay. So I, I, I love that. And I think it goes back to our earlier conversation about cold calling. Like if you're talking about trust building and disarming, I think uh, I'm just going to make a generalization, but that's what people dislike about cold calling. You, you didn't expect me to call. So now I'm going to call and I'm going to force a bunch of really positive, amazing things right at you that are not probably relevant to your daily life. And then I'm going to be pissed when you don't want to buy from me. Right. Like that is the sort of context of a cold call. But if you change that context and say, here's some information, let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's much different as well. That I, I love that transparency, trust building, disarming is really important. Yeah. And, and to your point, like, I mean, you look at some of the most successful companies in the world, like Ikea, right? The experience is a nightmare. You can't find anything. You got to go to the warehouse and pull 200 pound boxes on the carts that don't have brakes. You got to jam it in the back of your car, Tetris style. You got to drive home with an injury. You got to open the box. There's 150 parts and no words on the work instructions. F-bomb your way through that. Yet Ikea is the number one furniture retailer in the world for 13 straight years. They don't hide that. They're like, hey, listen, we give that up. You're going to pick it, pack it, jam it, assemble it so that we can be great at our core, which is modern Scandinavian design furniture that you didn't pay much for. If you want feng shui, you want the assembled stuff, go to room and board, go to crate barrel. Like they're great, but this is what we do. And every organization, whether you're in SaaS, whether you're selling anything, you're giving something up, embrace it. And the better companies do that. Costco, Southwest Airlines, like one after the other in B2C, the same exact concepts work tremendously well in the B2B world. So when you talk to B2B reps, um, and you talk through this, because in the B2C world, I'm, I'm going, I'm probably going online, I'm looking at reviews, I'm making a choice online, I'm not speaking to somebody about this. I'm, you know, if I speak to somebody at Ikea, it's where do I find whatever it is, and then I'm on my way. In a B2B sale that's not self-service, how are you working with reps to talk them through this concept to say, like, in that moment of truth, here's how you enact this, this process. Now, maybe I'm getting ahead of the process, but. No, but no not at all. And like, you... let, let's impart some wisdom of a supermodel. Cause like, why wouldn't we? Um, sure. So Tyra Banks, Tyra Banks coined the term flossom and flossom means to embrace your flaws, but know that you're still awesome. So number one, I'm not encouraging anybody to go into your next sales engagement and be like, Hey, we suck. Here's what, like, no, take it easy. You're still flossom. Like that's number one. Number two is that I encourage sales organizations to work with their marketing organizations to curate. All right. If I'm a buyer, if if whoever you're selling to, what homework are they going to do? And what are they going to find? They're probably, first of all, going to do a Google search and go, you know, you mentioned Terminus. That's a client of mine. Uh, Like if you go to Google and you write in, what is it like to work with Terminus? Mm -hmm. Right. Guess what comes up first? Glassdoor. With a rating mm-hmm. current and former employees leaving reviews about what it's like to work there. Now, as a, a, if I'm buying from Terminus, I'm thinking about making that investment. Do I care whether or not the employees hate their job or not? Probably. Like, I, I'm yeah. not buying your technology. I'm buying you. And if everybody hates it there, that's going to influence me. Right. Those right. Are the types of things that I, I teach sales organizations and marketers to curate together to inform, hey, if, if I'm in the customer's shoes... Uh, what are they going to give up to get our greatness, right? And if that's going to be important to them, 
let's figure that out. Now I'll give you a quick example. Um, I had gone, uh, when I first tried this, I was in New York. Uh, we had an inbound lead that came in from a big apparel company. It was Calvin Klein. I, I went in, I was, I thought I was having coffee with their head of e-commerce, but it, as I walked in, the guy handed me an HDMI cable to plug in my laptop for my presentation. And I'm like, looking around like what? And then coffee. people, yeah, exactly. And then people were rolling chairs into the office. It's like seven of did them. Did they serve, did they serve you coffee at least? Was there coffee in the room? No, no, we went right yeah. into the office. And uh, by That's the way, bait and switch. They, like the, the walls were covered with pictures of children in their underwear. It was one of the most disturbing moments of my life. But because like, it's strange. why did they do that? But anyway, um, <laughs> I go in there. This guy comes right after me. And he's just like, Todd, we're looking at your competitor. We're looking at you. How are you better? And like, I could feel the eyes of everybody on me, like arms were going up, like, all right, here comes the sales pitch. And so I decided to try it. And I said, hey, before we get too deep into it, can I tell you how that competitor's better than us? Because they just released an add-on that not only do we not have, but it's not even on our roadmap. And if that's going to be an important consideration, I'd love to know now, you got this whole team, like the salary meters are running. You're about to issue an RFP. You're about to have us all fly to New York and make investments and doing a big dog and pony presentation. But if that's going to be important, can we just get that out now? And they're like, we hadn't even heard about that. What is it? And I literally pitched it on behalf of the competitor. Mm -hmm. And they decided, no, that's not even something we thought about. What would you do if we do need that at some point? I'm like, well, we've got partners that plug in that do that. But like, I don't know. It just came out yesterday. I haven't even talked about it with anybody. And they laughed. They ended up throwing out the RFP process. We never flew up. They made a decision for us in 10 days. And that was when I was like, I think I got to write a book. Like people got to hear about this. It was magic. Right. But like, that's an example of how you do it. Put yourself in the customer's shoes and go, if this is going to be important, let's talk about it now. Address the elephant. Uh, otherwise, if you think they're not going to find out, you think you're going to present as though you're perfect and hope that they don't find out how you're not, you're extending your sales cycles. You're eroding trust. You're driving uh, your customers to be able to listen more intently to what competitors say because you haven't built that trust. Control the message. I mean, everybody, ha ahead, everybody has the information now. Yeah, right. The old right. old days, you needed a uh, uh, Ray Kroc had to throw some uh, shake machines in the back. Good old Arlington Heights guy. Yeah, uh, yeah. To, you know, to go around to spread the information because there's no other way to spread it. Right yeah. now, everybody has the information. It's almost like uh, they've the the buyers have done more research now than ever, and they're they're looking for that edge. You know, I'll tell you. So I, I mentioned that I'm a sales history nerd. Yeah, we've always which could which could possibly be the nerdiest thing ever said on the Sassels podcast. Really? I, oh, I think that's we'd have to go to the archives, but possibly. okay, because this is pretty good. So okay, anyway, continue. I'm going to put on the nerd nerdometer. Um, so like we knew a hundred years ago that honesty sold better than like you know pretending you're perfect, right? There was yeah. a, in 1919 author Arthur Dunn is quoted as saying, "If the truth won't sell it, don't sell it." Like, I love that quote, right? So we've always known it, but, you know, to your point, now because of the proliferation of information and feedback and reviews and the ease at which your buyers have it getting at your customers, like just go to LinkedIn and go, hey, 
oh, you've got this logo on your website. I know that VP over there. I'm going to reach out and see what they think. You can't hide your flaws and expect to get away with it anymore anyway. That's why I feel like this is so timely. Transparency sells better than perfection. And now we have to do it anyway because of that proliferation. So you've said a couple of things that are important takeaways from for this podcast, I think. One, people say this all the time on this podcast, so I hope it's getting through to people, which is sales and marketing working together. This is not a one or the other. I know Pete doesn't love that, but I think I got him to think that way one time. Um, but that, But that's really important, right? Because somebody... One person does one job and one person does another job, but the goals are really the same. So how do we get them to work together? Two is I, I loved your idea about RFP process. Like what you did is got someone to throw out an RFP, throw it away. Um, I, I have no love for RFPs or that process. So if there's a way to bypass it, get around it, be the company that that's the one that, that helps another company get around that whole mess, because they don't, they don't like doing RFPs. Right. So so if there's a way to get around it, awesome. And then control the message, I think, is is really important. Um, how you do that, of course, is sales and marketing work together to understand what that is. Yeah, exactly. Well, if marketing did their job, it would be a lot easier for the salespeople to sell it. See, that, that's, that's that kind I'm of not, categorical statement that not, puts I'm a lot so, of spice just, in this podcast. We'll, we'll <laughs> edit that out in post. <laughs> A lot of spice. I'm sorry, Todd, continue. Oh, no, that is fantastic. <laughs> I mean, just think about it, though. Like, you know, um, my dad, uh, who passed away last year, he was 98. He was selling in the 70s and 80s, right? And his yeah. sales, he was selling via, hey, come down to our lodge. Like, they, his company had a lodge in, like, Hilton Head. And, like, they would just go drink and party all weekend, and then he'd walk out with a million-dollar order afterwards, right? Yeah. Now, we went from that extreme to the other extreme, which is companies like Walmart today, where I, I last time I went out and tried to meet with them, I, I went to Starbucks and I was like, I offered to buy them a, like a $3 cup of coffee and they almost tore my head off. They're like, no, like, no. and like, you know, hand them a pair of logoed socks. They're like, we can't even take that. And yeah. like, that was what RFPs were meant to take the feeling out of evaluations. But at its core as human beings, we're not thinking machines that feel, we're feeling machines that think. That's an Antonio Damasio quote. So the RFP thing, I mean, part of the reason that we do it is sometimes it's a, like we have to do it as buyers because our organization sees the old school stuff oozing back in and we need to make sure that we've dotted our I's and crossed our T's. But yeah. my advice for people there is don't think that um, people, because of RFPs, get the feelings out of their decision-making process. And what I mean by that is inject your personality into your RFP responses. Why not? Why do we keep going these stale paragraphs and go, you need this? Uh, the answer is yes. And here's how we do it. Like inject a little personality. Like, hey, you know, um, we don't do this. And yeah, we suck. Like our, it, that's a terrible example, but inject no. some we all suck. We just suck less. Exactly. <laughs> so if, if it's a spreadsheet, have your column with your stale answer and then add a column that says, here's what this really means. And I think there's still an opportunity to differentiate if we end up having to do RFPs by adding some personality into those. Nobody's doing that. Create a separate differentiator. You can differentiate on your product, your approach, your pricing, your value. I think we can differentiate in the way that we sell 
part of it is through transparency. Part of it is through injecting personality in ways that companies haven't been thinking about. I can give you a guess as to why RFPs are so boring. And it's because no one likes to do them because they feel like they don't win. Somebody wins the RFP, but it's not the three of us. It's not our three companies. So we're like, why are we going to spend any time working on that thing? Because we already know we're not going to win it. And so there's, there's a chicken and egg problem with RFPs, but anyway, I I don't want to go down the rabbit hole on RFPs. That has to do with transparency. Like, I mean, there was a time in my last company where we got an RFP and we saw that a couple of the primary requirements they had were things that we weren't great at. So we just picked up the phone and called them and said, Hey, listen, um, before we dig into this, you don't want to read it. We don't want to do it. If these are two really important things, we're probably not the partner for you. And they're like, whoa, 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 no, no. Like, and like that embracing of what we were giving up and the fact that we were willing to walk away actually endeared them even more closely to us. And yeah. so like Very nice. when those types of things happen, they, they can be tools to help inject transparency and help yourself differentiate, even if you're not a perfect fit. It's the same reason why HR manuals are thick, right? I mean, there's, if there's no trust, okay, it's almost like you got to be an attorney now in the SaaS world. Thank goodness I don't do that crap anymore. I hate to be yeah. you two, but <laughs> it's, you know, who's going to screw? Somebody's going to screw me. Who is it? You or you? Yeah. Okay, great. And it's section 1.2, whatever. I mean, shoot. I can remember when uh, Salesforce started with five free licenses and you went from there, you know, and they, they, they tacked on everything. Todd, we have a lot of new sales reps and new leaders that listen to this show. So we try to, you know, cater to them. The phrase that I like to use is anybody can sell anything to anybody once. Right? Right. So it's it's almost like what you're saying is you have to talk somebody out of something before you can talk them into something. Right. And, and, And that's where it is. It's. You, and then and then the new reps, they don't know the product well enough. All they know is the road stuff that they learned in tra- training that they have to regurgitate, right? right. And it kind of drives me nuts. You need a script. Hold on, Todd. I'm on a rant. There we go. You need a script. You need, a script, <laughs> you need bullet points. But they don't want to sound like a robot. Well, if you don't want to sound like a fucking robot, fucking rehearse it, right? You go to the movies yeah. eventually one day. Or you watch Netflix, how do you think the actors know what to say? There's a script. They rehearse it. It sounds natural. Okay, I'm going to sit back and relax. Take what you will of that, Todd. Unless you're Keanu Reeves, and then you still (laughs) sound like you're reading the script. (laughs) (laughs) See? Yeah. I know. Yeah. And like, so your, your point about like, we can sell anything that anybody wants. One of the things that we did in two of my companies, we were hiring reps that were were young, right? Like a couple of them, their sales experience was they had a lemonade stand in junior high, right? And so we're bringing them in or teaching them how to do this. Number one is, listen, to be a successful salesperson in 2021, you don't need a plaid sport coat and gold chains. Like stop it. That we are now in an era where because of what we just talked about, being honest, proliferation of information means we have to anyway be a human being so start there that's where it starts but number two 
All right. So one of the things that we did is we looked at sales reps and said, hey, we need three categories of information to be successful. Because for you to become a natural asset to a potential buyer, you need to obviously know the product, right? You need to understand what it does. But more importantly, you need to understand the industry and have empathy for the buyers, right? So if you're selling to marketing, figure out what marketers read, what they do, how they're measured. If you've got a marketer in your own organization, bring them into your conference room once a week and go, all right, what are you working on? What does your life look like? How are you getting paid? Show me your inbox. Like show me when you get emails from people, what stands out and what doesn't. And like you, if you're selling to finance, do the same thing with your finance lead, engineer, whatever. Like number one, learn the product, of course. Number two is that clinical level of empathy is so important, right? That we need to understand that and really, really embrace that to be successful. And then once you start doing that, you can start to have real conversations that get you beyond your script, right? Where you're able to go, hey, you go into that conference, here's the things you're thinking about. Um, add value to the individuals. The, the most uh, successful people selling to me were best able to work their way into my world and understand what it was and show empathy. Like the, the people that whose emails started with, start with, I wanted to, or I wanted to see if you got my 10 other emails. Those are the ones that got the quickest delete. There's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Yes. Newbies wow. out there, right? Yes. I've you, written about gonna, that. No, what did you say? So, yeah, I mean, so um, there's the, the difference between sympathy and empathy. Like one of the examples is, you know, empathy or sympathy would be uh, you're on a boat. Somebody's throwing up off the back of the boat, right? They've got, yeah. they're sick. They're terrible. Yeah. Uh, sympathy would be like, oh, I hope, I hope this passes soon. I hope you're doing okay. I, I understand, right? Empathy is for you to be sick along with them, right? To experiencing, they're like, hey, God, I feel like crap too, man. I know what you're going through. And so yeah. like, that's the level that we need to get at with the people that we're selling to is to really like sympathy is, you know, hey guys, I hope that you're doing okay in these trying times. Fine. You know, empathy Thanks. is, hey, you're, you're struggling with this and this right now. I know it. Like I've experienced it. I've sat down with our, our marketers and like, this is the world they're living in and this is what they're doing about it, right? That's a clinical level of empathy where you're truly able to connect from a place of having experienced it. And I think the, uh, the, the, the piece that goes to this that's so important is that we almost feel an emotional bond to the outcome that we're gonna go through the up and down with you. Like if this goes great, we're gonna celebrate with you. And if this sucks, I'm gonna feel it. That's empathy. Empathy, you've done your homework. Right. Right. S S yeah. Sympathy. How are you doing today? Bullshit. Yeah. Hang up the phone. Right. What, what, uh, yeah. uh, tell me about sales melon. I, I, I'm in the melon business myself with a company called NeuroNoodle. Yeah. Uh, go figure. Tell me about the melon part of the business. How does that work? Well, I'm a behavioral science nerd, right? So I always, when I got into sales... Yes. Uh, I just, I love how understanding how human beings engage, prioritize, decide, and buy. And that's always been my thing. And I've applied it to sales over all these years. I, um, I think it was the movie, um, So I Married an Axe Murderer uh, with Mike Myers, where yeah. the boy is like, he's sitting, the, the father's sitting on the couch and the boy is blocking the TV. And he's just like, yeah. oh, I'm on that boy. Hey, that thing looks like Sputnik. 
right? Like he's he's screaming at Don't him. Don't cry yourself yeah. to sleep on your big pillow. <laughs> you giant pillow. <laughs> exactly. And like, I always thought melon was a funny analogy for the brain. And so I just uh, like, you know, that was where sales melon came from is uh, from that movie. So I married an yeah. actor and uh, the dad yelling at the boy with the giant noodle. So. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Love it. Thank you for the noodle. <laughs> so one of the one of the things in uh, we talked about this a little bit before we uh, I think we started recording just in our getting to know you session, but it relates to to your melon. Like your melon is where you get your personality from, right? That's sort of there's something wired in there that tells you about your personality. We were talking a little bit about um, negotiation, so you just want to. I, I don't want to you know set it up too much, but but just talk a little bit about negotiation and, and how your personality affects that. Well, yeah, I, it's, uh, I'll, I'll go on my rant. So like, you know, pull the toy string. And, yeah. You know, go for it. For Let me, it rip, baby. like in my first sales leadership role in 2008, I just growing up in sales, it always bothered me that I needed a different personality to negotiate than I did to sell. Like, why are we building trust to the goal line? And the customer says, yeah, guys, I want to go with you. And we subconsciously say, all right, I'm going to start lying to you. I'm not going to tell you what a good deal is for us. You're going to ask for a discount and I'm going to go, but didn't I best explain the value? And they don't give a crap about that. We're going to fight. We're going to play ping pong back and forth. You ask, no, let me be honest with you. Let me be honest with you. You weren't honest <laughs> yeah. with me before? Yeah. Pet exactly. exactly. And so you asked for 30%. I said, oh, I can't do more than 10%. And then you said 20%. And we end up at 50 Like, that's so stupid that we've given away 15% in the form of charity to the customer's bottom line. So that always bothered me. Different personality, eroding trust at the goal line and giving stuff away. The second piece of that, and like we talked about earlier, uh, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, one of my favorite sales books or uh, negotiation books, but in a sass hole environment, why are we learning how to negotiate sass deals from former FBI hostage negotiators. We're not negotiating the release of hostages from a bank heist. And as you said, we're not selling things one time. We're building long-term relationships similar to like, I'm going to get uh, you uh, get these people out of this bank heist and then you're freaking going to jail. That's not yeah. fast. And so this, I, I accidentally stumbled on this idea of playing your cards face up in a negotiation. In SaaS or any for-profit company, there are four things that your company cares about. Your company cares about volume. So how much product services technology the client commits to. The more the better. The more you're, uh, they're willing to commit, the more you're willing to pay in the form of a discount for that, right? There's volume tiers. Number mm -hmm. two, timing of cash. Turns out every company, including ourselves, we like money. The faster you pay, the more that's reflected in your pricing and the more we're willing to pay you in the form of a discount. Number three, length of commitment. The longer you commit to our products, technology services, the better it is for us, the more that will be reflected in your pricing. And number four is our ability to forecast or the timing of the deal. You, uh, there's mutual value in our ability to predict not only from a forecasting perspective for our investors, but from a resource perspective. If you're willing to mutually align around that timing, we'll pay you in the form of a discount to do that. So that when the customer says, hey, we need 30% off, you don't go into BS land. You don't go into ping pong back and forth. You say, hey, remember the four things that we talked about? We might have a path to get you close. Commit to more volume. Pay us faster. Commit longer. Help us forecast. 
And that way you are out of the business of giving away discounts in the form of charity to their bottom line. You are building trust instead of eroding it because you've played your cards face up and they're now able to negotiate their own deals. And if you play that fourth lever right, your deals overnight will become more predictable. And that's, I stumbled on it. I've built it up. I've added all the behavioral science to it. And now you mentioned Terminus. I just uh, taught their whole sales organization this class about four weeks ago. And uh, yeah, it's taken the world by storm. That's cool. Thank, thanks for outlining those four things. I mean, I think those are really important. Uh, if the listener is not writing those things down on their steering wheel with a post-it note and, you know, sort of weaving in and out of traffic, they're, they're screwing themselves. You should be doing that. You should be doing that. Um, and I didn't know about Terminus before we got on this call. So I, I, didn't, I didn't know your connection with them. I don't want to set that up there. Uh, that is, oh, that is happenstance. That is happenstance. Setting things up, Ferrara, how did, how do we get Todd into a place? I wonder what it's like. Uh, if we're going to help uh, plug your business, they call you up, you come in. Uh, how does a company use you or how does it? Here's the thing. So as a CRO, SVP of sales for a while, yeah. it always used to bother me that when we would hire somebody to come in and train, a lot of times it's like, hey, it's two and a half days. We're going to get in a room. I'm like, if it takes two and a half days to learn anything, six months from now, all my new hires will have no idea. And most of the people that are here will lose 80% of it. Like, that's crazy. So uh, when I was at Exact Target on their sales leadership team, uh, I uh, the, the Terminus connection is their CEO was the CMO of Exact Target. So I those uh, Tim Kopp, who is awesome. The guy is amazing. But um, who's, the, who's the guy we know? at? Oh, gosh, dang it. Ferrara, who's the guy we know at Exact Target in Salesforce Bottom? Um, Scott Dorsey. Uh, Dorsey. Uh, Scott That's Dorsey it. is the guy. Scott. Yeah. Scott Dorsey. Yeah. Was yeah. The guy Sorry, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah continue, like, Todd. Yeah. The, the greatest Scott next. of all time. But what I do is at Exact Target, I was known as uh, they, they had this, uh, it was a million dollar pyramid of Todd Capone's famous 20 minute sales skills classes. What I teach in every chunk really takes no longer than 20 to 30 minutes. And then we do workshops around it so that I, I adhere, I'm a nerd for um, how the human brain learns. And so I follow a formula. There's a book called How We Learn by Stanislaus Dahin that I follow with that. But um, a negotiation class, for example, it takes 20 to 25 minutes to teach the framework. And then we break into groups using the eight to 10 most common things that come up in your negotiations, which are things like, we need a discount. We need net 60 payment terms. We can't commit that long. Give us termination for convenience. It, like we can't sign here by the end of the month. Will you hold the price the next month? Those types of things. We break into groups. They all work on those using the framework. And then we bring everybody back. And then as a group, they've got a way to position, present and negotiate their pricing and responses to the eight most common things that come up in their environment. That's one of them. I also teach classes on messaging and positioning adhering to the transparent concept. Uh, I teach something called the presentation choreography, which follows the choreography used in reality makeover TV shows. So it's kind of funny, but it reorders your slides and your messaging to not only tell a great story, but become really compelling. And then the last one is obviously the leadership stuff, which is taking these concepts and applying it to structure and transparency around, you know, maximizing the intrinsic inspiration of your team so that they stay 
and they want to tell their friends. If you're going to do anything in sales training, my two cents is, is role play. If they do nothing, give them something to learn and role play till they get it right. You know, I don't think there's anything more valuable than that. Well, the way that you any- is we, we learn something, we come up with a theory of how to use it. We use it. Our brain requires an error signal to learn. And that error signal, to your point, comes through in role-playing or trying something out. And I've got, like, here's how I think this should work. I tr- it's almost like if I put a garbage can on my back deck and I crumbled up some paper and it's a little breezy out and I try to throw it and hit it into the garbage can, I have a theory, I throw it, it misses to the left. Next time I'm going to aim a little bit to the right. So like you're processing that. The exact same thing happens in any kind of learning environment. Create a theory, teach, have them try it, have them make some mistakes, have them adjust again, nail it, and now you've learned. And that's, I try to do that simple concepts, try it, learn, and two hours later, hopefully you've got something that you can put into action that afternoon. Classical conditioning, positive reward, or there's a you know, negative yeah. you know, failure. Problem yeah. is nobody wants any of the negative or the failure. They, they all want to win. Well, you got to make it fun, but yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. Um, one of the things that I talk a lot about is this idea of, you know, as a sales leader, losing was so frowned upon, right? That like you lost the deal, you hang, had your, uh, you know, hang your head in shame. Yeah. And like, we yeah, never yeah. talk about it again. I think that the opposite needs to be true. That yeah, we need to create sure. environments where we celebrate losses for the lessons learned and the effort because the reps already get hit in their pocketbook by it. Because like the biggest mistake a company can do is keep making the same mistake over and over again. And when we bury the losses and at our sales kickoffs, all we talk about is success stories. We're missing out on a huge opportunity to stop making the same mistakes again. And that's how you've got to treat your role playing too. That nobody gets beat up for screwing up. As a matter of fact, let's celebrate it. Let's celebrate the fact that they got up in front of the room and tried something. Right. And like that's, that's how we all learn. And, and I would take that one step further and say the companies that people enjoy working at the most give you the space to fail and ex- their expectation is that you do fail at some point, but learn from it. Like when Pete and I worked together, we worked in an environment, I, I felt this way about that environment, that was a safe place to fail so that you could learn from it because that's how we improved. The place I'm working for now, that's one of the values is about failure. We have a Slack channel just called Wall of Failure. And people post all sorts of stuff. And it is, some of it's ridiculous and some of it's very serious. Like I took this action and it was a huge mistake and I didn't realize it until late. And here's how I undid it. But the places, and I've also worked at places where it wasn't safe to fail. And it was awful because that's what happened to every rep. They were demoralized. That's what happened to every campaign that didn't work. It's like, well, you realize we're running experiments here, right? I mean, there's there's no silver bullet for any of the things that we're doing. So I would say, you know, that's what that's what people like about companies. Make it a safe place for me to fail and learn. Exactly. Like I, there was a company that I took over to run sales. And when I got there, their CEO had it set up so that when a rep moved a deal from qualified to, to lost, all yeah. the executives would get a notification. Yeah. And it's just like, I, I was like, all right. And so I get there and I look at these deals that a rep loses and, and I know they lost, but all of a sudden I look in the CRM and the close date's been moved out 12 months or it just suddenly moved to suspect. And I'm like, 
didn't you just tell me that they chose a competitor? Yeah. Uh, like, oh, but they'll come back around in a year. Yeah, because I don't want to. I don't want to take the shame of exactly. claiming that it's lost and have ten people know. Right, and I don't need to know walking out here saying you got outsold. Like, oh. Right. oh, let's do another cadence call. Let's get to your forecasting, yeah. and it's like we spent yeah. half your yeah. time figuring out how to lie. You know, well, yeah. What's your commit? Yeah. What's your commit? Yeah, what's your... Is the biggest lie-inducing question on the history of sales. Oh God, I hate that question. Yeah. I would if anybody came up to me and said, hey, we're going to do commits. I'd be like, no, like, get that word out of your vernacular. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, Jason, this guy's good, man. This guy's <laughs> yeah. good. Todd, is right good. on. Todd, can we bring right you on. back, man? Started. You only just got me started, so. I mean, you're a homeboy, too, even though it's Mount Prospect. But, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I've never Where been yeah, where is Mount Prospect? Like, is there a mountain somewhere? I, I don't know where that name came from. Yeah, I don't it's think it exists. Beautiful Palatine. So, well, we are in sales. I mean, that's where all the prospects are. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the point. I never made that. You connection. like that? You, you yeah, like that? Okay. All right. So, Todd, what's the best way? All right. So if anybody made it to the fifty-five minute mark of the show, which is <laughs> unlikely. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> What would increase the odds of them finding you? How would we hook, hook them up with your business? <laughs> yeah, I'm impossible not to find. It's uh, there's the they use the Google machine, but I'm uh, transparencysale.com, toddcaponi.com. Find me on LinkedIn. I'm kind of annoyingly everywhere, but I'd love to uh, love to be a resource for you and, and your teams if you feel like. Okay. Re- Absolutely. All right, that's Caponi with one P. And no E at the end. It's Capone, no not e. Capone. I don't want to be getting shot at driving down the street. Right. You're on the north side. You're not on the south side. You're not, you're not a Beverly guy. But Al Capone is uh, well known in these parts too. So apparently he had, they say that he had a, high, uh, a hideout somewhere in Palatine. So I've been uh, trying to find that. On his way up to uh, Wisconsin. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. Okay. Farrar, you got anything left in the tank? This is a Always, great show. Pete. Always. This is this a, great, was a show. great show. I Todd, it was so nice having you on. I mean, you're great at like I love I love when somebody can say here's something complex and simplify it. And you're really good at that. It was incredibly enjoyable to have you on. So thanks. We had a we had a good guest and we had one less co-host. There's something in that formula that I think is good. <laughs> I don't know what it is. As this, I don't know. We'll find out. Honestly, I do a lot of these. This was a blast. Like, I've really enjoyed hanging out with you guys. So uh, anytime. Oh, well, I'll Thanks, tell Todd. you what. If we ever get any money for a budget, uh, you'll get the first asshole t-shirt. Oh, I'd like that. I'll be wearing that around. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening to the Sassholes. On behalf of Jason, myself, Pete, we thank you for listening and ask you to give us five stars on Apple Pasch. Make that 4.2 stars on Apple Podcasts so people believe it. Something like that. 0.6. Smash the like button on Facebook. Is there a so-so button on Facebook? Instagram and follow us on on Twitter. Cue the non-copyrighted music.
recorded that now. Snuck that in there under the wire. But I have no problems repeating that I think we'll have a better podcast without Arnie. He's selling <laughs> freaking... What, what was his lame excuse? He's selling cookies? Yeah, that's some sort of... Some sort of sale that he's setting up. This is a very odd time of the school year. It feels like kids will be done and, and as a parent, yeah. you'll be opening up your you know, time to relax and not cart them yeah. around everywhere. That's all bogus. The last few yeah. days of school are difficult. Todd. Todd. We, we got a hot mic. Nice. I dude, you guys, I get asked to do a lot of podcasts. I don't always say yes, but with a podcast called sass halls. <laughs> it's the, it's the secret sauce. It really is. It's not it Pete. Or me or Jamie, the secret sauce is the name. Absolutely, absolutely. That is awesome. You have a very big uh, microphone. That is good. You got a lot to say, I'm I'm sure, Todd. How how do we know, Todd, Jason? Well, for you, is it offensive to tell me I have a big microphone? All of a sudden, it's just not hot in here. You should feel feel honored. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Thank you for my well-endowed microphone. (laughs) So how, how do we it, know Todd? We, yeah. we know Todd because I think Raj sent a note to our team and said, hey, you should um, you should read this guy's blog post on sales compensation. And so I read it and thought, huh, that's a unique way to think about it. I should get to know Todd. So then I reached out to Todd and then um, started talking about the podcast and he said, I'd love to. So so, so basically, Ferrara, you got us a guest. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's good. Yeah, and my pleasure. Sp- well, I think Raj got us a guest. What was the, I don't remember that that blog post. Um, do you remember which one that was? It I was a lot, but. It was the, it was the sales reps looking for dollars under rocks on, oh, a, yeah. on yeah. a path right yeah and and the the notion that um if they find money all they'll do is continue to look for it in places meaning they'll continue to discount and continue to discount and all of a sudden you've just gutted the you gutted well, yeah. the value of the deal yeah i teach something so in my book i wrote about uh, this concept called transparent negotiating um which I mean, we can talk about it if you want on the the interview, but I, yeah. I just, as a sales leader, thought it was always strange to me, two things. Number one, that we needed a different personality to negotiate than we did to sell, mm. right? Like you build trust right up to the goal line, customer says yes, and then you go, cool, I'm gonna start lying to you. Um, you know, I'm gonna hide what a good deal is. <laughs> We're gonna lie back and forth until we end up at a deal. That was number one. Number two, and Chris, like, don't get me wrong. Chris Voss's book is fantastic. Never split the difference. But why are we uh, learning SAS negotiation techniques from a former FBI hostage negotiator? Like, that's freaking crazy to me. We're not negotiating the release of hostages from a bank heist. We're, we're negotiating like a freaking software deal. Um, why can't we put our cards face up and build a relationship and not erode trust at the goal line? And so yeah. that's where it started. That whole um, like, like rocks on a path thing is yeah. the analogy of you're walking your dog down the path. In other words, you're walking a customer down the path of getting a deal done. 
And then all of a sudden the customer hits a rock that's got $20 bill sitting under it. And they're like, uh, can I keep this? And then, oh, is this free money? And instead of them continuing down the path, now they're kicking over every rock and your negotiation just became like, once they find something free once, now you've just screwed yourself in your process and it's extended out the journey and that we always like, we can't give away anything for free, but there's an, there's a uh, opportunity for us to lay our cards face up and say, Hey, here's the four things we care about as yeah. a company that we're willing to pay for in the form of a discount. I love it. Let's have that same conversation when we're, yeah, up, don't, when don't, we don't waste any of that passion. I'm, I, I love it. <laughs> this is cup of coffee. Number three. So, so you, so you up. and your, your big uh, microphone there, do you think you can do that intro? Uh, which intro is that? Uh, guests, please say hi. Oh, this is document up. That's right. Okay. Well, it's is it Capone or Capone? What's the? None of your business. <laughs> None of your beeswax. <laughs> You'll get along just fine today. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, it's funny. My my grandpa long long ago looked to see if we were related to Al Capone. And yeah. it turned out we weren't. Uh, but Al Capone was born Capone and changed his name when he came over. So that was a little scary. Um, but yeah, uh, as long as I, I, I can absolutely do that mic or that uh, intro. If you, want me to. you got Mike on the brain. All right, hit it anytime. We're, you know, we'll edit it. We'll put it together. Um, I'm a wizard. Yeah. And do you want that? Or like, I, I, I'm more known for like sales melons, the name of my company, but nobody really knows it, but the, the book is what people know. It's however you want to introduce right, yourself. Cool. You know what I mean? No, no we're not going to have, we're not going to air it. Cause you. <laughs> That's right. All right, cool. I'll, I'll go. Hey, this is Todd Capone, author of the transparency sale and soon to be author of the transparent sales leader. And you're listening to the sass holes. However you would like to introduce yourself. Yeah, you can read the rest of it. No, that's it. That's it. That's it. No, it's good. That was sort of a question at the end. That was perfect. Am I? No, what am no. I doing? I think you are. All right. No. However you would like to introduce yourself. Yeah, you can read the rest of it. No, that's it. That's it. That's it. No, it's good. That was sort of a question at the end. That was perfect. Am I? No, what am no. I doing? I think you are. All right. No. I'll do my uh, intro here, and then Ferrari, you got your laugh track ready for me? Sure, sure, I'll laugh track it. So we don't get that <clears> idiot <throat> Carney around. We'll let it down in post. That's a better well, joke. Is thinking about this idea that? Um, oh crap! I lost my train of thought. Um, we'll let it down in post. Come on, Todd. Come on, baby. Come on, get that sales melon. Oh, you oh, here's something. Here, all right, I got it. I'm back. No, this is great. We got to do it again. God, and uh, we've got to keep Carney out of it. Carney's just another guy. Don't worry about it. We're going <laughs> to yeah. edit that out. Of we and love Jamie. We love Jamie. Topics we could talk about. So I'd, I'd love to be back on again. Oh, sir. Uh, Dad, Dad, cool. so you, you know your shit. I'll put a couple video blurb up there.